You're listening to the Nomcast, a proud member of Forgotten Entertainment. Hello, and welcome to the Nomcast, the Netflix original movie podcast. I am your host, Andrew Morgan. You can follow the show at NomcastPod on Twitter and Instagram, and you can check us out on the web at NomcastPod.com. All right, last week, the nominations for the 94th Academy Awards were announced, and as any avid listener of this show knows, we here at the Nomcast have been tracking all of the awards news for the major Netflix contenders, so of course we are going to talk about the biggest show of them all, and a few weeks back, we did a stock up, stock down for these award hopefuls with our friend from across the pond, David Long of the Film Review Podcast, Is It Worth It?, and he is back with us today to break down these Netflix nominations and review the four short films that Netflix is nominated for as well. David, thanks for taking the time and coming back on the show, sir. Thank you very much for having me, Andrew. It's a, it's a busy time of year. Award season is in full flow. We're we're looking forward to the Oscars. Well, some of us are. I know you're very, very nervous <laughs> about, about Netflix's chances, but um, great to be with you and uh, really looking forward to talking Oscars and then talking uh, over these shorts with you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, first of all, you know, I'm going to, you know, say what a what how bad i felt for you with the announcement that lady gaga was not oh. nominated <laughs> briefly tell the folks like your journey with this thus far so i've been i had been predicting lady gaga to win the oscar for oh at least a, six months to a year yeah um i w- i was all over it on twitter very very vocal about the fact that i thought that one she would be nominated and two she had a good chance she made all four precursors sag bafta golden globe and critics choice and was then snubbed on nominations morning um so i did have a wager on lady gaga uh, so my money is lost andrew and uh, we go again <laughs> Yeah, maybe a few extra grays in that beard for you, man. I'm sorry. That's a tough beat. That, you know, you are the gambling man. We'll even talk about some uh, a brief gambling odds thing that I had you toss in here as well, just because I heard you on Mike, Mike and Oscar. It's a great episode. Everyone should check that out uh, about the betting odds and what they mean as far as like predicting winners or maybe who has good odds you know Mm. that's maybe not a front runner right now a lot of good info there and it helped me kind of crystallize some of the things uh that i was thinking about these oscar nominations that came out last week some first impressions and, and obviously some some backstory i always like to say every year and you know this because we've covering this uh as a netflix tandem kind of thing for a couple years now so you know my abuse you know my my (laughs) history my my uh just tough stories that happen every year with these netflix hopefuls and a little bit of backstory on actually how well netflix has done in the last couple years we always have heard this sentence you know netflix has a ton of nominations that leads all studios and we all get jazzed or some people (laughs) get angry because they don't want Netflix to succeed. We'll get to that in a minute too, but 2020 Oscars, 24 nominations, but only two wins 2021 Oscars, 36 nominations, seven wins this year. They came in with 27 nominations, which I think is incredibly strong. Some people are going to be like, well, they went down. I'm like, well, but last year was a pandemic where Netflix had, oh, by the way, all of the movies, all of them, anything where they were like, yeah, we're not so good in this category. Let me buy this out of this festival. Let me buy this (laughs) from another studio. They just kept buying stuff left and right because they wanted all these nominations and they did. So good on them. So like I said, 27 nominations, there's, uh, you know, a few things to note. Power of the Dog looks incredibly strong. They lead the pack with 12. Um, and, of course, now we have to also, as you did with Lady Gaga, say goodbye to something. Uh, we have to say goodbye to Passing, which was one of the seven mm. films that we kind of kept an eye on. So apologies to Rebecca Hall and apologies, of course, to Ruth Nega, who I thought was the person who was absolutely going to fit in in that supporting actress category. So she did not make it. I have a bunch of first impressions and a bunch of questions for you here, but 
now that you've seen the nominations, you've talked about them on other shows, you're kind of digesting this. What are a few things that you saw? What are your first impressions of these nominations from a Netflix perspective? Well, I think the first thing to look at, Andrew, is that Netflix has won 15 Oscars from 89 nominations. Lifetime, and I like, yeah. I, I, like, I like bringing these stats onto your show. And that's a 16.839% conversion rate. What does that mean? So if we, if we want to go down the maths route, we should expect Netflix to win 4.5 Oscars this year. So if you're looking at an under over, start at 4.5. Um, overall, you know, first impressions, I think it's, it's strong for Netflix. Like you said, 37, 36 noms last year. So it is down. But I think Netflix have got quality over quantity this year. And I think come Oscars Sunday, that will be really, really important for them. As for the under and over on the 4.5, I can't make my mind up. We had a little bit of a laugh about the fact that I was <laughs> really confidently going over. And then I had a thought, uh, you know, I sort of backtracked about that. But overall, I mean, I'm, it's going to be interesting. I'm going to bring real confidence for Netflix in this episode. And you're going to you're going to be the wounded puppy in the corner sort of talking <laughs> talking me back into sense but overall no i think netflix can be very happy with their 27 nominations i think that they've got a very very strong hand i think so too i think they're a little more focused this year it's kind of been some of the conversation that you have had and and i've had conversations with you know of course the guys at mike mike and oscar about the same and the the big thing of course we're going to talk about is the power of the dog which you can argue that one they look very strong, and because they are spread out in those nominations, they have the most nominations that any Netflix Best Picture uh, contender has ever had. Uh, Roma uh, had 10. The Irishman had 10. Uh, Mank had 10 last year. But a lot of those nominations, when we looked at those in the past, a lot of them didn't seem like they were you know, front runners in a lot of those categories. So it was kind of a weaker 10. And now you have 12 from Power of the Dog. And I feel like, gosh, when you guys were going over the betting odds, it felt like at least over half of them, they had the top contender in that category. So, you know, when you say four and a half, I feel like four and a half is the over under for Power of the Dog, let alone all of the Netflix films. Um, but I also wanted, I did write down, I can also see a world where the Power of the Dog wins all of the Netflix awards and none of these other Netflix films win any of them. Uh, do you kind of like buy that argument, especially now that you've kind of seen the betting odds and where things are heading? I mean, that's perfectly possible. I mean, a lot depends on if Netflix really focused their energy and their campaign into the power of the dog, I think some of its other projects might sort of suffer because of that. Um, but I could definitely see a world where the power of the dog does really, really well. And the rest of the Netflix contenders on the undercard don't do so well, but I can also see a world where, where the love is spread. I mean, I go, you, you know what I'm like, Andrew, particularly with the betting odds. I, I, I try and beat the bookies and I go crazy. Yeah. And my head is just like a box of frogs right now. Um, <laughs> a box of dogs. Um, yeah, exactly. But, <laughs> but no, um, you know, you, you make a very valid point. The the dog could have, it, it, it's very feasible that it could be, it's, you know, it could go over 4.5 on its own, but it could be the only Netflix contender to win Oscars. Yeah. Yeah, I can see the headline now. The dog has its day right now. Put it up there, Hollywood Reporter. Get it out there. Just put it in. You know, put it in ink right now, and then and save her for later. Um, yeah, it's tough. I I, I really looking looking across the board. Uh, I kind of wanted to put some. I wanted to try to like focus my questions to you with you know kind of each one, not in the way we did the stock up, stock down, but it's kind of similar now that we really have the Oscar nominations here and mm. still yet a, not a lot of winners from the, uh, the precursors yet either. So our information is still very scattered. It's very early, but I, so I don't want to belabor too many points, but right now I want to do the power of the dogs betting odds and what it means as far as it's standing right now. So if you can go over kind of what the tea leaves are saying or the Vegas tea leaves are saying right now about power of the dog. Well, in simple terms, the power of the dog is strong. Like Nomadland at this time last year, it is the bookmakers, the 
the, the favourite in Vegas. And I think it's particularly strong with Jane Campion being such a heavy favourite in the director category. Right. Um, to put it into perspective, I'll give you the Power of the Dogs odds and Belfast and West Side Story. The Power of the Dog is 1-2, to two, minus 200 betting favourite. The second favourite is Belfast at three to one, and then West Side Story has drifted out to nine to one. So the first thing you can learn from those betting odds is that actually what was looking like a three-horse race may now be a two-horse race between the power of the dog and Belfast. But to break it down mathematically, according to the books, now you've got to remember that the betting market is designed so that the bookmakers have a profit, but... One to two, what does that mean, minus 200? Well, that means that the bookmakers think that the power of the dog has a 67% chance of winning. Right. That's, that's the mathematical sort of stamp that they've put in on it. So in other words, round it up slightly, 70%, seven out of 10 years at this time, the power of the dog wins. It's a strong favourite. A lot depends on how it does at the PGA, BAFTA, Critics' Choice. Obviously, if it does well there, you can expect its odds to come plummeting down. Right. If Belfast has a strong hand at BAFTA, then suddenly the power of the dog looks a little weaker. So the, sim the simple answer is it's a strong favourite, but it's not bulletproof. Right. And I agree with that. And part of it is, of course, my <laughs> my need to always constantly bring up the fact that it's a Netflix movie. And <laughs> uh, Ann Thompson, who I listened to, uh, you know, from uh, IndieWire there and, mm. and on the podcast uh, Screen Talk with Eric Cohn there, they were discussing that very subject still, which I always think is something that I perceive not like this active kind of thing, but they brought it up in their own podcast and these are people who are really in the know and a lot of people have that kind of look at best picture especially to be like do we want to reward a netflix film when we can champion a film that quote to them did it the right way with a you know a theater uh, theatrical rollout you know festival run etc cetera, etc cetera. and you know, Power of the Dog is very close. It was in theaters for quite a while this year, mm. um, and it had all the festival love early on all the way through the fall. So if anything's close to that, especially with the, the pedigree of Jane Campion and how much people like her, you know, I think this has the best chance. But still, at the end of the day, I go, ah, but it's a Netflix movie uh, because <laughs> cause we did this. I, I told you, like, yeah, I mentioned the nominations of some of their past films, but Roma, 10 nominations, three wins, no best picture. Irishman, 10 nominations, no wins, including best picture. <laughs> uh, Mank, 10 nominations, two wins, no best picture. Trial of the Chicago 7, six nominations, no wins, including best picture. Marriage Story, six nominations, one win. So you're seeing not many wins. And, and the thing for a while there, like post-Roma was – there was not a lot of wins in the big acting categories or even the big, you know, like between screenplay, director, and best picture. There was not a lot of love to go around because it feels like people are making that decision. They're going, mm. I don't want to champion a Netflix movie. And that's the only reason, really, if you're looking across the board of why Power of the Dog doesn't seem the mightiest person in the room to me. Because, A... I, I told you, it's down to two thoughts. A, do I want to reward a Netflix movie if I'm a, an Academy voter? And B, do I want to vote for a bummer? In the <laughs> middle in the middle of a, like you're in the second year of a pandemic and you're sitting here and you have options like Belfast, King Richard, and Coda just <clears> sitting there where you could be like, I can reward them. I can reward these things that made me feel joy during a very tough time in a, in a tough stretch that we're all going through and mm. you know and those films all did things quote the right way you know a little bit i mean king richard obviously the day and date thing is was out of their control but they went through the festival circuit so did belfast so did coda coda went all the way from sundance so they did the job it's just whether we're gonna override it and kind of like take mm. away the drumbeat of this big thing with a female director uh one that's well respected with a film that has a lot of people that people like and it's high quality. So do you see anything of those choices, you know, bringing this down at some point? 
I mean, yes, in the sense that the whole Netflix thing is a is a is a giant obstacle for Best Picture. I mean, looking at those stats, I mean, when when The Irishman was announced, Scorsese, that cast, I thought this is surely Netflix's breakthrough chance to win Best Picture. Yeah. And then they've tried with Mank, they tried with The Trial. The only thing that I would say is different this year, Andrew, is let's work, if, if you don't mind me saying briefly, sure. backwards from Best Picture. I think Campion looks set to win Director. Yep. I think The Power of the Dog looks set to win Adapted Screenplay. And also, The Power of the Dog is second favourite to win editing. So let's say it wins editing. If it wins right. director, screenplay and editing, yeah, I, can't, <laughs> I can't fathom a world where it then doesn't win picture. Because it's, it's that Oscars puzzle theory where you're putting all the pieces together and it culminates in a best picture. Com you know, whatever your thoughts are on uh, The Power of the Dog, and I know it's a very divisive movie because of its pacing, Right. Uh, I do believe of all the ca the candidates we've discussed, including the Irishman, including Mank, including Trial, I think this is their best chance. The hurdle is there, but if they can get over that hurdle, they could get that coveted first best picture win. For sure. Um, let's go on and move to some of the other nominees. Uh, I kind of did these kind of open-ended, don't look ups, best chance at winning an Oscar is... Well, I know we had a bit of a laugh about this because I didn't really answer the question. Um, I'll give you two answers. Uh, the first one is it's got four nominations and I think it's unlikely to win anywhere. It surely can't win picture or score. However, however, it is third favourite in original screenplay and editing. I don't think it will win editing, so I think its best chance is screenplay. Screenplay does look like pizza versus Belfast. I agree. But Don't Look Up is the third favourite at five to one. So Don't Look Up's best chance of winning an Oscar is in screenplay. I don't think it will win, but that's its best chance. Yeah, it's funny because we've been sharing the doc kind of going back and forth. I may or may not have called David a coward for not answering <laughs> the question uh, to my delight. But um, you're right. Four nominations, including Best Picture, and I don't see them winning anything. Um, hmm. I agree with you about screenplay, too, but and that it's their best chance, but that they're also not likely to get it. Again, in that puzzle theory of things that you've discussed on other podcasts and, and how these things tend to work, if they want to reward PTA, it's probably here. If, hmm. they, if they want to reward Branagh, it's probably here because the director thing, if that's you know, it, the, all the momentum is with Jane Campion there. Yep. So if, if they're like, where else can we reward these films? You don't have a lot of options when it comes to PTA. So, and Branagh, it's a very personal story of his. So mm. if you're going to nominate one or the other, or excuse me, reward one or the other somewhere else, it's going to be there. Or does Belfast win Best Picture? We'll get to that. You know, we kind of keep beating <laughs> around. Uh, another one, The Lost Daughter's Best Chance at winning an Oscar with their, uh, I believe, three nominations uh, is what, David? Olivia Coleman um, is the simple answer. Um, that best actress race is wide open. Yeah. And I mean, seriously wide open. Anyone that tells you they know who's going to win is lying. <laughs> Anyone <laughs> yeah. who says that this person's a slam dunk or uh, they're going to win this and then they're going to win that. Look, we don't know. We don't even have a crossover between BAFTA and Oscar. So I think Olivia Coleman, um, she's the third favorite in that race. And she's got a chance, you know, don't rule out Olivia Coleman. She caused a shock um, a couple of years back and it wouldn't surprise me if she if she picked up another Oscar. It really wouldn't. I tell you, the best reason to believe that she can, besides the fact that she's snatched it from other favorites in the past, mm. uh, is a the Jesse Buckley nomination in Best Supporting yep. actually shows how much they actually enjoyed this film. Uh, they play the same character and you're you're kind of like identifying both of them almost together in this kind of a category. And I would say that means that they like this film more than I thought. And, and if that's the case, then she has a great chance of winning. Also, you know, we're not going to know anything going forward between BAFTA. There's not a lot of crossover at all, even between the nominees. Mm. Um, SAG doesn't help either <laughs> in, a, in a lot of these <laughs> as well or not really or not as strongly because the competition is not same same so that's tough to deal with and then her competition 
is incredibly flawed as well, uh, where, you know, Kristen Stewart, we didn't even know whether she's going to show up. Now, mm. if I'm not mistaken, she's number two in the betting odds. She is. She's the second favorite. Yeah, it's a nightmare of a market. So I think it really that, is. I wonder because they were kind of like blaming some chicanery from your side of the your side of the pond there. Maybe a little, uh, you know, gamesmanship with the royal family. <laughs> I don't want to get you in trouble, David. I know, mm. uh, you know, you're in a precarious spot, but there was a little kind of uh, rumors out there of like slamming this thing down. Well, all I would say is that I, I'm I'm very pro royal family myself, right? Um, and the film doesn't depict the royal family in a very good way, right? Um, and that was always going to make it hard for it at BAFTA. I really right. do believe that. I I'm not surprised it got shut out at BAFTA. And all I would say is if there was any hint from the royal family or from one of the royal family's aides that they didn't like this movie, it would have been shut down quick. Right. Um, I'm not saying that's what happened, but it's possible. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and honestly, you know, the fact that uh, The Lost Daughter has three nominations also is mm. very strong compared to a lot of its competitors here as well. Um, because especially with that screenplay nomination as well, that's a, that's a big deal uh, to kind of mm. show how much they enjoyed this story. And if you add all those things up, I feel like she's a much stronger case than Kristen Stewart, who is the only representative from her movie. And then being the Ricardos took a hit from not being in the best picture conversation, nor I believe got, did they get original screenplay nomination for Sorkin? No, right? No, no. So that's a big, uh, you know, no, no as well. (laughs) That's a bad sign for them as well. Mm. So if you're talking, if those are the people who are the strongest competitors, against her because is that one too who am i missing oh and penelope cruz yeah chastain Mm. and cruz so you know cruz is coming up the back end a little bit because they got more than one nomination i believe right for parallel mothers because i think they got score and that and maybe one other uh chastain is kind of in the same position as spencer uh where it's the uh or like the maid the only major representative i think they may have what one other for makeup and hair so mm. the, Stewart actually looks even more weak if you think about it, uh, where they might not get support in other guilds or other uh, positions there. So uh, I, I feel like Coleman's the one who has like kind of almost the strongest resume. And if she's third, I don't want to tease your betting here, David, your betting <laughs> muscle there. But if you're kind of hovering over that, you know, with your mouth kind of going, whether I'm going to bet the odds on that one, it's kind of mm. tasty, kind of tasty on that one. I, I, I think you've made an absolutely compelling case, and I think you're right. That category is wide, wide open. Olivia Coleman at third favorite, you know, there's there's a really good case for her to, to win that Oscar there. For sure. Uh, next one up, uh, unfortunately, is one that was near dear to my heart that did not do what I hoped. Uh, Tick, Tick, Boom only had two nominations, uh, one for film editing, which usually is a sign of strength mm. uh, that didn't materialize. And I could tell you the Netflix of it all hurt Tick, Tick, Boom. I've I said this months ago, but I didn't want to believe it, is I can't see a world where Netflix get three out of the ten nominations because yep. they just wouldn't want it to happen. So they put the top their top two and let Tick, Tick, Boom you know, go to the wayside on this one. Um, so unfortunately, only two nominations. Tick, Tick, Boom. Best chance at winning an Oscar, of course, I'm not even going to let you finish the sentence, is Andrew Garfield. But is that race over yet? I believe he is third kind of in a in a heated race right now. I feel like he's kind of losing steam. He needs a big win soon, right? Yeah, I totally agree. And I mean, Garfield is third in the Oscars race, and it certainly looks like a three-horse race in that category. But the fascinating thing is, is Garfield is actually the second favorite to win the SAG after Will Smith. Mm. He's actually ahead of Cumberbatch in the SAG betting. Um, so he's he's got a chance at SAG. And I, I said on, I think it was on, on your show before, on someone else's show, I think that's his best chance of a big win. Right. Um, so... If he wins SAG, this could make things very, very interesting. So, yes, it's a three-horse race, but I've, I don't think Will Smith is as bulletproof and as watertight as some people are making out to be. So uh, I know you were obviously really upset that Tick, Tick, Boom didn't make Best Picture, 
But Garfield, I still think, is a strong a strong player in the best actor race. Yeah, I'm going to love it when Cumberbatch wins BAFTA, Garfield wins SAG, and Will Smith wins Critics' Choice, mm. and we all just go, well then, <laughs> what the hell do we do now? And kind of just flip a coin as we get closer and closer. I, I agree that I think this is still Will Smith's, but it is so thin. Um, and the only thing I can say is that if you're going to reward Power of the Dog everywhere else, Will Smith kind of seems like a solid choice here. And it's a, a more mm. rewarded, uh, nominees-wise, mov- movie King Richard than Tick, Tick, Boom. So if you want to play out that kind of theory, that makes Will Smith the winner. But, yeah, it is incredibly close. Um, yeah. Next one here, animated feature, also near and dear to my heart. Um, is animated feature a wrap for Encanto or does Mitchell's still have a chance? I would like to think that Mitchell's versus the machines has a chance. Let's be honest. And I'm going to be honest here. This should win this category. Totally. Um, I thought Mitchell's versus the machines was fantastic. Um, I don't have children myself, but it would be a great movie for kids. And the great thing about it, obviously, is it's brilliant for adults as well. Um, if you look at the betting, Encanto, you know, the bookmakers are pretty much saying it's a cooked goose. Yeah. But there's a long way to go. There's a long way to go in this race. So Mitchell's versus the machines is, is very much in it. Um, but it's it's not leading the way in this category according to the according to the betting odds. Yeah, and you gotta feel like a lot of the the song stuff is at play here mm. between the song nomination for Encanto, uh, for best original song. Plus the success of, you know, Bruno being that major earworm that seems to be, mm. you know, going nationwide or, or, or worldwide, I should say, worldwide, yeah. uh, with the success of that film. So that is something that is going to stick in there. So it's kind of like this ageless wonder because parents and grandparents are kind of stuck sitting around watching, you know, Disney Plus with their family watching Encanto uh, around the the holiday season and stuff like that and just really getting into those songs and wanting to hear the soundtrack. So it just bleeds into something that the Mitchells can't do because they're not a musical. Uh, And it came out so long ago now that unless people are revisiting or just getting to it now, it's got to get a lot of late energy to to get Mm. some help. And I think it's going to have to come from wins at the Annie Awards or or someplace else, obviously like BAFTA or something else, Critics' Choice. It needs a win. It needs a win big time for this conversation to change. Just putting it out there, hand to God, we've covered it a lot. It got nominated. I don't think it's going to – it has no chance. Zero chance. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Drive My Car and Worst Person in the World are dominating those headlines. Drive My Car getting Best Picture, it's kind of done. Uh, And even Flea. Flea would probably get it before then. So mm. that's out. One thing that the Oscars are doing is they're trying to do a couple of things to drum up interest in the show. Uh, one of those things is the <laughs> the Oscars fan favorite the, mm. that they're setting up on Twitter kind of as a hashtag campaign that will be rewarded during the cal- telecast. So I wanted to say, whose campaign will be stronger, David? Mine for Tick, Tick, Boom or yours for <laughs> House of Gucci? How are we doing this? <laughs> I am so happy that we managed to touch upon House of Gucci on your pod. Um, Several times now, yeah. All I would, yeah, including Gaga. All I would say is this: this could be absolute carnage. Um, <laughs> yes, it it, it, re- it really could. I mean, the Academy is clearly desperate to be relevant, and they want to sort of get more people involved. Will this work? Only time will tell. Um, uh, to be fair, I think House of Gucci out of those two would probably do better as a fan favorite just because of how crazy the Lady Gaga fans are on Twitter. That's the first um, thing I thought of when this came out. I was like, it's going to be that or Spider-Man, like, yeah. it, which is a weird tandem, right? <laughs> yeah, no. Um, and I also want to say fans will also be able to vote for their favorite scene from 2021 using a hashtag Oscars cheer moment. Now for me, if it isn't Jesse Plemons reading that sauce bottle label, we should all go home (laughs) because that is one of my favorite moments of the year. It's absolutely brilliant. I love it. I figured it was anytime Jared Leto ate something. Uh, I figured that would be also in your nominations there. I'm not sure how that's going to play out or how you put that in a hashtag, but Mm. um, I'm sure that'll go. (laughs) 
in true honesty, that like the the cheer moment, it took me a while. Like I wonder uh, for like kind of like film Twitter what they would go for. To me, I know as far as the the campaigns have gone and all the movies that are here at the end. Belfast's like everlasting love thing was like mm. a moment for a while. I wonder if we can get that going, you know, try to do it. But I wonder if they're just going to not do that for a movie that's getting nominated. You know, they're, they they want to maybe shine on something else. But I think that would be strong. Or a lot of the, the big moments are also musical things. You could say the Bruno thing. You could mm. say, I don't know. There's a lot of different moments that are all musical related, and I'm sure I could pull a tick tick boom one out um, <laughs> where everybody's you know weeping in the theater too. But there's a lot to go for. That that'll be an interesting campaign to see how that shakes out. Um, one last thing is they announced just recently, like within the last couple of days, um, the new Oscar hosts are a trio uh, that they announced from the Academy: Amy Schumer. Regina Hall and Wanda Sykes will be the three-headed host here, each getting their own hour of the telecast. Amy Schumer is reported to be going first. Uh, I would imagine Regina Hall probably goes last because she is a more recognized actor, but that's just my opinion. David, what do you think about this choice for, for Oscars host? I mean, my initial response is it's it's risky. Yeah. Um, s- simply you know, an old sort of saying, too many cooks spoil the broth. Mm. Um, and I do wonder if they're, they're trying so hard to, to get people involved in the Oscars, which is, which is great to see. I want to see a world where more people tune into the Oscars and more people watch film and talk about film. But I do worry um, that they might be slightly overdoing it. And three hosts is certainly risky, but it does mean if it's a disaster that they all go down together. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we've seen in the past where people have perhaps come under criticism when they've held it solo um, and it's not been necessarily great for their careers. So if this was to go wrong, at least they've got the, the support of two others to say, well, let's go down in the ship together. Um, I'm fascinated to see what the show will look like. Yeah, this is basically just a how many quadrants do we need to to check off to make people not mad at us, I guess. Like <laughs> it, it's kind of in response to the Kevin Hart thing, right? Where it's mm. like, we thought we had a slam dunk. Oh wait, here comes a tweet off the top rope, which is going to cancel him out. And yeah, they were probably like, Oh, well what about Amy Schumer? And then they're like, well, do we know how bulletproof that is? Yeah. Mm. She's a woman, but you know, should we promote like, you know, people of color? Cause that's obviously a problem that Oscar's so white thing going on and everything else. And then they're like, sure, let's do this. And then they brought up a couple of great candidates, probably in Regina Hall and Wanda Sykes. And then instead of choosing one of them, they just went, well, let's just do it all. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, cause the three of them don't make any sense. It's not like they're uh, the, uh, like mm. the thing they brought up with, uh, the Hulu, trio there from only murders in the building the steve martin martin short and uh selena gomez thing that made some sense because it's like at least they're all part of one thing Mm. you know hulu is tied into disney who owns abc you know abc does the telecast so that made a lot of sense and then they come up with this where it's like all right (laughs) nothing makes sense i don't know what's going on let's just uh move on from there but yeah that one was interesting i don't hate it but I also don't know if they really even need that much of, like, an overwhelming host. I don't think it moves the needle anymore. To me, when, like, Chris Rock did it or somebody, a comedian who I really like that can kind of bring something to it, or Gervais, how he's tackled the Golden Globes, where it's just, like you yep. mentioned, carnage. That dude is all carnage. He just wants to rip everybody <laughs> apart, and they love him for it. Um, so those type of things, I think, work. But if not, yeah, I guess just goes safe and and not do big monologues anymore. Mm. I guess that's kind of what they're doing. I don't think it helps for ratings at all. I don't think any of these people are like, oh, well, I wasn't going to watch the Oscars now. You know, Wanda Sykes or Amy Schumer or Regina Hall is here. Like, I don't see that (laughs) being a conversation. But, you know, they are quality people, quality actresses, and hopefully can be quality hosts. Um, So that's all the, a lot of the questions I had for you on those nominations, especially because we don't have a lot of other information as far as winners from other precursors. So this will be an evolving conversation. I thank you for going through that with me, but we'll take a quick break 
and we'll come back and we'll talk about four nominees that Netflix has in the shorts category, which a lot of people don't even realize that they're either A, on Netflix right now to watch, or the fact that those are categories that people even do until they get their betting pools and their betting sheets uh, (laughs) from their work uh, as these things go on. So we will try to help you with that by talking about the four Netflix shorts nominees when we come back. Attention, culture consumers. Join me, the queen of queries, Sarah O'Connor, and my band of nerdy knights. Colleen McMillan. Flo Siegel. And Anders Drew. On Bohemian Geek Studies, where we take extremely dorky dives into our favorite fandoms, especially that Star Wars galaxy far, far away. Listen each week as we examine the stories that mean so much to us. Bohemian Geek Studies is available wherever you get your podcasts and is proudly part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Hey there, I'm Mr. Black. And I'm Mr. Green. And we're a couple of guys who met in a comic book store. Together we host the Pint O Comics podcast, where we invite listeners to join us to talk about movies, TV, comics, music, or just whatever. Starting very soon, we'll be joining up with the fine folks at Forgotten Entertainment for a special limited series called On the QT, where we talk Tarantino. Every week for 10 weeks, a guest will join us to chat about every Quentin Tarantino movie from Reservoir Dogs to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So join us starting in May 2021. On the QT is available wherever you download your podcasts and is part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Ooh, that's a bingo. All right, so let's get shorty. Will we, David? Uh, We're going to do the Netflix short films that are nominated at the Oscars this year. And there's two categories. One uh, for best animated short. We're going to talk about Robin Ramen, which we've already talked about in this podcast. So I really want David's opinion more than my own because we talked about that when it was during the holiday season. Uh, and it was kind of released around Thanksgiving to to push towards the holidays there. Uh, and then we're going to talk about the Doc Shorts, uh, which tend to be Parade of Sadness, David. And I'm sure that I ruined an, an evening <laughs> or two for you uh, where you probably had to uh, go for a long walk and see what the horrors of, of life are after watching some of these. Um, we'll start with the fun first, shall we? So let's do Robin Robin for best animated short. What did you think about this one? I'm a big fan of the Aardman animations. A lot of pedigree with those guys between Chicken Run, Shaun the Sheep, you know, Flushed Away, Name Your Project, Walsh and Gromit, you know, something that's also from your side of the world. So what did you think of Robin Robin after, after watching it today? Yeah, I was I was a real fan of of Robin Robin. It's just a really sort of sweet, warm, lovely little film. Um, it's it's the kind of movie that it's it's really tough to sort of give it a deep dive analysis. What does <laughs> yeah. it all mean? It's 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 a short animation, really for children, but it's got a good mix of humor. It's got some good musical numbers. Um, Richard E. Grant plays or voices a magpie, and he's absolutely splendid. Yes. Um, I really enjoyed his character. His character was really likable and really drew you into the piece. I will say this. It's a very likable short, but it doesn't scream Oscar winner to me. You know, when I watched it, I didn't think, you know, this, this, is, this is an Oscar winner. So I thought it was very, very good. Um, we discussed off air, there's not actually any betting in this category, which is making me shake. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because obviously I like to have an idea of what the presumed front runner is. Um, but I wouldn't have this, having not seen the, all of the rest of the uh, nominees in this category, I don't think this will be a front runner from having watched it, if I'm honest. Yeah, it's a tough one to shake out. I kind of sent you some of those uh, things. We'll talk about the, the odds or at least kind of like, you know, it's chances in a second, but a lot of that stuff is very confusing with the short film category. It's odd what you would think would be momentum for something doesn't work. And then, mm. you know, it's hard to shake out what really helps uh, with these. But I, I, as mentioned, we previously covered on the show. I enjoyed this as well. Uh, and for anyone who hasn't seen it, um, it's about when an egg fortuitously rolls into a rubbish dump, Robin, Uh, is raised by a lovely family of mice. Um, And as she grows up, her differences become more apparent. Robin sets off on the heist to end all heists to prove to her family that she could be a really good mouse 
but end up discovering who she really is. Um, this is a movie, you know, like you mentioned, Richard E. Grant, Jillian Anderson, some big voices that are lent to the project. Um, Ardman Animation, as I mentioned before, so a, you know, a big history uh, of you know excellent animation in this uh, category. More in the features, obviously. Um, they use puppets on this one instead of their normal plasticine for the first time. So it's got a little bit of a different look, but I still enjoyed that uh, very much. Essentially a story about fitting in and what's important in life uh, while also just kind of being this fun fish out of water, or I guess Robin out of nest uh, <laughs> tale uh, by very gifted animators. So I don't think this wins for a couple of different reasons. Uh, you know, holiday films have a tough kind of, you know, sledding see Klaus uh, in, the, in the feature category. Uh, it didn't win in terms of that, although it did get some love, obviously, as far as nominations were concerned. Uh, I was actually surprised this landed in the Oscar 5 because it did not end up in the BAFTA uh, nominations for British short animation. And unless it was disqualified for some reason, it's not a good sign that it did not get in kind of in its own backyard there, uh, especially when one of the other nominees affairs of the art did from that category. Um, so it's tough. It's tough. I, I don't know if I see this winning. Also, some of the things I sent you with kind of the past winners of this category, um, they kind of go very self-important, you know, they kind of, they've had either like something like deer basketball, where it was like this, you know, tragic thing with Kobe Bryant. So they had that last year's winner. You know, you're talking about uh, school shootings being like a big thing. And that was tough to, to deal with, tough to swallow, tough to watch. Um, Pixar hasn't won since 2016. So you can't be like, well, the major studios have all the control in this. So and you can't even be like, all right, well, what about festivals? Festivals are back. Does that tell you anything? Nope. Not really. Uh, last year's winner had a good festival run, but prior to that, no. There's no real precursor. All right, well, what about the Animation Awards, the Annies? Does that tell us anything? Nope, because the, <laughs> the last time one of those nominated ones uh, won was Dear Basketball, and that was years ago now. So do you see anything that points to whether it should or shouldn't be successful? I think it's one of those categories that, it's it's tough to analyze for the for the reasons you've outlined um all i can say is it didn't strike me as an as an oscar winning film um you know ardman obviously have a a fantastic sort of back catalog of work um with things like chicken run wallace and gromit sean the sheep i don't think it's in that caliber um but i did really enjoy it you know and we will talk about the doc shorts this was some relief andrew that i and some joy that, yeah. And some happiness <laughs> yeah. that I that, <laughs> that I desperately craved after watching three doc shorts that were challenging, um, to say the least. Yeah, let's get to that category. Can't wait to uh, make you sad all over again. So we can do we can <laughs> go there. Uh, the first one that I watched was Audible. It was this uh, film that is about uh, a deaf high school football player after being shaken by his friend's suicide copes with family and relationships while anticipating his final homecoming game. It's kind of this environment with a lot of challenges, and this main character, Amari, has a lot going on, more than most. Uh, he's the only deaf person in his family. Uh, as he wasn't born deaf, it was from an illness. Um, his father left when he was two or three and has only recently reentered his life. His former teammate and close friend, as mentioned, uh, committed suicide. Uh, after being bullied at a new hearing school because this takes place within a deaf school, um, which a lot of things that I didn't know, David, as far as like fully deaf schools, you know, mm. having, you know, athletic teams that compete against, you know, other deaf schools and also hearing schools as well. So a lot of things that I didn't know. What was your take on Audible? I have to say, I I really enjoyed Audible. Um I mean, obviously, the subject matter, as you've outlined, with this this tragic suicide, is 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 hard, and it's it's you know it's very upsetting. Um, but I found it a really really powerful piece. 
Um, it has this great opening sequence that's you know very cinematic, and it draws you straight into into this um, into this short film. You know, it's moving, inspiring, powerful, heartfelt. Um, and my opinion is, you know, my show's called "Is It Worth It," and we we assess whether things are worth it. And to me, this is beyond worth it. Like I encourage you, dear listener, to seek this out and watch it. Um, I was I was really moved by this piece. Um, like you said, to to see a community of people that obviously can't hear, but to then take that and turn it into something powerful and and positive, and take that onto the football field, um, I thought it was a really inspiring little short. Um, I do think it had a few problems, in the sense that it it was very much a bubble, mm-hmm. um, and the doc didn't really explore what happened next right and it also sort of left you on a cliffhanger now i don't know if that's what they wanted to do um because i wanted to know more but overall right. i had a i it was a tough watch but it was a really really good watch if that makes sense yeah i don't mind the cliffhanger thing although you know cuz you're kind of in a way preparing them for the real world like any other high school and it's at the end of high school and and how much this kid has gone through um Mm. you know you're you're really kind of seeing this environment and and the challenges that he's going to face going forward but at least i wish i knew kind of where he was in this moment if you're going to end in that way i don't feel like i had a great shake of where his mental status was i feel like there were a lot of things to chew on a lot of things to go with uh, a lot of emotion as you mentioned but especially with a sports film, I don't know, you know, if I'm over criticizing something in a short, but it's hard to, to not feel a sense of drive to the end of the film, like a through line, even though he's the main character, there are several characters. They even go into like relationship stuff with him. I thought if maybe if it was just a tad more focused, um, especially for this kind of length that we can get to kind of be as a driving force moving forward, I think that would have been, something to deal with um and especially because i don't know like the grasp on on the the friend who committed suicide it's tough to fully know how hard it hit him because Mm. they show other characters that maybe it hit even harder so it kind of took something away from me because they had too many characters at times or too many uh thoughts all going and I, i think they probably felt bad focusing on one person but in a way that's what it is because you had more stuff going on with Amari than anybody else. So that would be my only criticism. But of all the ones we watch, I think this is probably one of the ones that is, quote, more worth it. We'll get to, uh, you know, where we think it fits with the rest of the category at the end. Um, the next one here, three songs for Benazir. It's about an Afghan man who is newly married and living in a displacement camp. He is struggling to balance his dream of joining the National Army with his family responsibilities. Uh, The man is so full of heart and optimism that you can't help but root for him, David. Um, You know, it's something that unfortunately probably ultimately can't be fulfilled in a war-torn region like this uh, and a third-grade education due to the kind of displacement and fleeing from place to place. So, you know, there's a fear there's a concept like surveillance state with the U.S. and other entities there, too, to contend with. So it's a tough story, and it's a very short one. I think it was only like 20 minutes, 22 minutes. Yeah. But it is kind of harrowing the way this kind of shakes out. What did you feel about three songs for Benazir? Yeah, I mean, this this really, really hit me quite hard. Um, it's just a tragic story, really. Yeah. Um, particularly with where it ends up. And I don't know if if you want to touch upon that or not. Um, but it's, it's just, as you said, it's harrowing. Um, this, this situation, this, this family find themselves in, in a country that's in crisis. Um, it was very, very sad. Um, it was very, very powerful. It was incredibly short, I think about 20 minutes, but it had a real atmosphere to it. It was really well shot. But with, with where it ended, uh, I, I it really hit me hard, and I think that's what a doc short is supposed to do. Yeah, I think it's supposed to hit you, and this really did hit me hard. 
It did, especially for how short it was. It really mm. did impress me in terms of that how much it stuck with me. Uh, and in the same as Audible, like learning things is always great from these doc shorts as well. I didn't know that it would be more of like a privilege for the wealthy to join the army. You would think it'd be kind of the opposite because that's how it is here kind of in the States where, mm. you know, it's almost a way out for people uh, and, and escape from their situation. And that's exactly what he wants to do. He wants to better himself through the army program, but he can't where a lot of other families can because they can leave their families behind in a better situation than if you don't have money and try to go from there. So that was interesting to, to kind of see why he couldn't just simply enlist because yeah. in, in, in most, you know, industrialized nations, that's not as big a thought or a concern. But did you know that or did you have any feelings on that one? Yeah, it, it was strange because you would think, like you said, that someone who was really, really willing to sign up to the army would, particularly in a in a nation like Afghanistan, would almost be accepted quite quickly. But yeah. there seemed to be a lot of barriers in his way and his family and friends you see in the documentary are very anti him joining the army. And ultimately, I think his biggest fear of what could happen in his life ends up coming true. Yeah. Um, and that was harrowing that was the, the end just a warning this is not a happy documentary this <laughs> no. is this is really quite horrific um and very very sad um but like yeah in terms of the army thing that was sort of eye-opening and educational and uh surprising yeah for sure um i agree with you though overall i think it's a very powerful one for especially the runtime that it is um mm. And we'll, and we'll stick with you. So that's something that could work uh, with the Academy going forward. The other one is Lead Me Home, um, which is a window into the homeless epidemic in America through several characters in the major West Coast metros, uh, San Francisco, L.A., and Seattle, I believe, are featured in this one. And it's a subject matter that I care about great deal uh, a great deal and i think a lot of people do and of course with la being the backdrop for some of these i wonder whether that also works for the hollywood voting mm. class here or not over something else or whether they just don't want to kind of look in their own backyard that is also a thing so it's going to be one way or another obviously with this one um i thought the execution was a little lacking for me i i, I know that I get the idea of them showing kind of these high rises versus how the homeless people are living below. Uh, and there's, there's a lot of that though. I thought there was a lot of just showing, not telling or kind of putting, I was more interested in the answers in the interviews that they were conducting that they don't do as much as you would think for a doc of this length. I kind of wanted to hear more about these characters, these people you're bringing into question, especially because some of them are very compelling stories. And mm. some of them I was like, well, why couldn't we just extract that one person and kind of make this a piece that shows all of these effects, but also through the eyes of something more personal. Um, but there's a bunch of these and they dwell on some of them even longer. But I will say obviously that this is a big issue to tackle with a lot of social and political factors that contribute to the problems and the solutions that they're trying to find for them, or the fact that there's a lack of solutions that satisfy uh, this particular topic in tough regions like that they're focusing. And they even go uh, into it uh, just a little bit to kind of be like, well, we, we don't have the funding to do what we need to. And we kind of almost mm -hmm. make need to make this, a national problem versus a regional problem because it's gotten so out of control. So the creators tried to make it kind of like a sad tapestry of the subject, but it left me feeling kind of deflated and cold at the end without any kind of like goals or solutions. And it didn't have as much personal stuff as I had hoped, even though there's some that just rocked my world. Uh, David, what did you think about lead me home? Yeah, so, I mean, I thought this was a very, again, a very powerful documentary short. Um, homelessness is something quite close to my heart. I had 
issues myself with housing about six, seven years ago. So I know what it's like to not have a place to call home and how stressful that can be physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally can be devastating. Sure. And the the first thing I would say is this, I think this is supposed to be a, a shock factor documentary. Mm. Um, I think that's what it's trying to achieve. It certainly worked on me. Right. Um, I was shocked at what I saw. Um, like you said, there is a lot of juxtaposition between homelessness and the housed. So they did have a lot of shots of people in their homes. And then they contrasted that with, you know, shots of lines of tents and homeless um, shelters and, and things like this. And that worked. But like you said, maybe there was a little bit too much of that. Right. Um, one of the most fascinating elements of this doc was when they asked these these homeless people some questions and we got a variety of different answers from people of different you know backgrounds different cultures different situations and the answers were fascinating i think you'll agree with that sure. and it was almost like i want a little bit more if they'd have dove a little bit deeper into certain stories there was one particular story of of a woman that was absolutely heartbreak well two women actually that were absolutely heartbreaking and it left me wanting to know more I, th I think it's supposed to be a shock piece right. um, because it doesn't offer, it made me feel a bit hopeless and a bit helpless because I thought, well, what can I do to help? Right. You know, what, yeah, what can I, be I done, did have that feeling. Yeah. What can be done to solve this problem? I mean, obviously I'm on the other side of the pond in the UK, housing prices, the affordability of living here is a major issue. Homelessness mm. in big cities close to me, like London, um, so overall, I think this was really, really good as a shock factor piece. Um, but like yourself, I do wonder if there were certain elements of it they could have dug into a bit deeper. Um, it had a very broad focus. Maybe they could have focused in more specifically on certain characters. Right. But it it really did impact me and 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 left me thinking quite deeply about the situation. And and like I said, I was shocked to see the nature of this problem in certain cities in the States. I really was. Yeah. I mean, that I will agree with. The fact that there were like full kind of, you know, block stretches that seemed like they were all covered in tents, you know, of mm. people living out out in the open like that is is a lot. And, and they touch upon a lot of issues that, uh, of course, you know, is the real crux of all of this is a, how do people get to this situation? And now that it's gotten so bad in these particular areas, where do people go? Because people will fight you tooth and nail to not have a homeless structure or low income housing near their home yes. because they don't want to devalue their homes that they fought for so hard in their own lives. So there's a lot of things to kind of understand all the different motivations uh, positive or negative in terms of trying to help these people or how they got there and everything else so again kind of one of those things uh, that i mentioned before a lot to chew on but mm. as far as execution i wonder if they made this again a little smaller because it's such a major issue right it, it yes. covers so many things that if you kind of had a through line a through line character that you can kind of go with or people who all lived in like a smaller section of that community maybe maybe the worst of the scenario and go from there but wow did some of them really hit me hard though especially anytime um you're bringing children into homelessness yes. like that really really gets to me especially as a parent and god yeah it's just some of the most heartbreaking things and you know even some of the people who work there saying they're one check away from being right there with you that's a yes. lot of people's situation and i feel for that too um so it's i don't want to come off cold because i'm trying to analyze as like a film <laughs> you know <laughs> but at the same time i just wonder you know i hope it's as effective as it needs to be more than i care about whether it wins awards i more care that people will see this and try to create solutions more than anything. They put a website up at the end, but I also yes. didn't know what I would be getting into going there. You know what I mean? Like, is it all yeah. just fundraising? What are we trying to do? And I don't know where the doc kind of presented that. You know what I mean? Like, this is the way out or this is what yeah. we could do. Instead, it was like, hey, there's like 
um, millions of people who live like this all over the country. Oh, <laughs> great. You know, like that's that's tough. That's a tough pill to swallow. And if it's that pervasive, how do we all do this? So, like I said, it kind of left me a little deflated at the end more than motivated. And I guess maybe that's where I would have liked to been. So it's maybe a more of a value judgment of what I wanted, what I wanted from this whole thing. But at the end of the day, I think it's, it's strong, but I don't, as far as the other ones, I think this is towards the, the back half of oh wow the ones that I thought, I actually thought this one before I turned it on, I thought this one between it being with the LA backdrop, I was like, all right, this one's going to win. I was like, this one's going to bring it home. It's going to, you know, be more personal to a lot of people. And, and here we go. Then I was just like, the execution didn't, I didn't fully love it. Um, mm. So we'll see where that one goes. But David, I am not the only voice in the room. What would you, <laughs> what would you feel of the three that you did watch in this category, which to remind people, it's three out of the five that are up for this mm. award. Which one would you think would be the top candidate to move forward if you had to choose? So I've got a bit of theory. I just wonder in a year where Coda is nominated for Best Picture mm. and Troy Kotzer is nominated for Supporting Actor, if there is a narrative for Audible to do well, particularly on the back of a film like The Sound of Metal. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, my my dear grandpa who, who passed away a few years ago was deaf and I know the impact that can have on people's lives and how it can affect the, the wider family mm. so to see the deaf community being represented in this way in major films like coda and sound of metal and people like troy kotzer uh, being the second ever deaf person to be nominated for an oscar after marley matlin who won um i, I for me um audible would be the top of the pile i just think there's a narrative for people to talk about the deaf community to try to understand the deaf community a bit more and out of the three it would probably be audible first um the homeless doc lead me home second and three songs for benazir third mm. but i'm just going with that narrative where i'd like to see um, I'd like to see Troy Kotzer win supporting actor, and I'd be very happy to see Audible win Doc Shaw. Yeah, uh, I could, I could see that. I, I, when you kind of approached that to me, I, I thought that was brilliant. I thought that was a because everybody loves the story, right? Everybody loves <laughs> the narrative, and um, I also thought about our mutual friend Amy Smith uh, from yes. you know, Films with Amy. She's now with Next Best Picture, as well as uh, does stuff for uh, In Session Film as well and i know she's doing her dissertation on uh the deaf community within the film construct mm. and and she loves digging in on these short films as well so i i'd love to hear her assessment on that and how this can all coalesce onto a story that's near and dear to her too but i think that's an excellent point um and i wonder if that can also come through i there's two other films that they're up against obviously uh the competition here is the queen of basketball which you know has uh, some big names uh to talk to uh in this space uh it's executive produced by shaquille o'neal and it's wow. oscar nominated director is ben proudfoot who just had some success with a concerto as a conversation so the Queen of Basketball is the story of Lucy Harris, the first and only woman ever to be drafted to the NBA. I'm a big NBA fan. I know a lot about the history of the game, and I've never heard of her. So this was shocking to hear. Um, she's you know, a very important figure who would later be inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame, even though most people don't know her name like me or her story offhand. Um, you know, She's a very engaging person. This made it very easy to digest because we're concentrating on the one person, kind of like the anti of some of these other docs that I said didn't have kind of this easy through line. And, you know, she made the decision not to pursue the NBA audition, even though she was drafted. So it kind of talks about, you know, her intentions of why she didn't want to move forward, even though she had so much success it doesn't dig in the deepest in terms of those motives or maybe some of the mental health that the description of the film had me believe, but I think it is definitely worth a watch and an interesting story, especially in a pre uh, women's college basketball is like a bigger deal, you know, 
pre-Yukon, if we're talking about me, like pre-Tennessee, pre-Tennessee, you know, these kind of dynasties of women's uh, basketball and obviously pre-WNBA and everything else too. So what the options were, especially this is also a black woman back in that time period as well, trying to, to move forward, which was tough enough. So yeah, it's a, it's a lot to chew on there. So I recommend watching that. You can watch that online. If you Google it, you can find some places to watch. And then the other one, which I couldn't find a place to watch yet, is When We Were Bullies, which was an official selection of the Telluride Film Festival and had its world premiere at Sundance. Uh, it's a film that focuses on Jay Rosenblatt and his journey to find his former fifth grade classmates and teacher to see what they remember of a bullying incident from 50 years ago. So, you know, bullying's been a big issue, especially I know a lot of parents, uh, how it's been very tough during the pandemic, a lot of, mm. you know, struggles and mental health stuff with children in this particular predicament and when they went back into schools and, and kind of a lot of the stressors that are still there causing more bullying, more fighting, more more real tough social interaction. So it'd be interesting to kind of like pop over, you know, in a in a in a hot topic and, and kind of go backwards with it and and see what this really has to go through. But you know, it, it I, I think it's a lot of tough competition. Netflix has obviously a 60% chance, you know, here uh, of getting one of these in. Um, so we'll see, but it's nice. I don't usually watch a lot of the shorts. I'm glad that Netflix has a lot of them uh, and that it made me go deeper and going online to try to watch even more. And, you know, as the, as the uh, animated shorts, maybe I'll, I'll have to do a deep dive on that next. And maybe for the love of God, someone give David Long betting odds for these so he knows what to care about or what not to care about so i appreciate you david for coming on and going through this journey with me um and uh, you know obviously a long season that we're still mm. over a month away <laughs> but at least now we have the drumbeat of of some of these competitions coming to a head what are you looking forward to and then of course we have your road to the oscars coming up where you and i will will get together and do that as well so tell the people everything of what you got going on and what you're looking forward to. Yeah. So firstly, thank you very much for having me on Andrew. I really appreciate it. And I really do thank you for getting me to watch these, these particularly these doc shorts because they were powerful. They're Oscar nominees and it's good to dive into all these categories. Uh, secondly, please do follow me on Twitter at one David long, or do follow the, uh, our, our podcast. Uh, is it worth it? The film review podcast at film is worth it in terms of what's coming up. Um, I've had a couple of episodes where I've done best picture with Max Joseph. Uh, I did Oscar nomination reactions with Mike, Mike and Oscar and my next guest, you may have heard of him is <laughs> Andrew and and we're going to do a deep dive into all the streamers. What you know? What is Netflix competition? Um, how strong a hand do streamers have at the at the ninety fourth? And what does it all mean come Oscars Sunday? So I'd love you to come and follow us. You can go to the website at www.isitworthitpodcast.com. Um, and yeah, thanks again for having me. It's been an absolute blast. Absolutely, David. Thank you. This is an evolving conversation, and it's always great to have you on and clear things up for me as this goes along. So thanks again, sir, and we'll see you real soon. Thank you. Thank you.